wonderful to be here, be able to share with you. People ask me, where do you live? I said, the Armageddon Valley. <laughs> and they immediately change subject. It's too dangerous, I guess. Well, I have no plans on being there during that battle. I have plans of seeing the battle from an aerial perspective and then coming back with him whose feet will stand on Mount of Olives. And when you come, and I, I, I really urge you to come, you will stand on Mount of Olives and I'll show you exactly how it's going to split. And you'll see that all the false stuff that is going on on the Temple Mount today is going to disappear. And a new temple will be erected there, the fourth one, as the third one will be there and is going to be gone. And he will reign with us for 1,000 years. <clears throat> but until then, <laughs> we've got some time to, to do here in this, uh, in this world. And a lot of people are asking themselves the big question, what is, or when is the end coming? You know, uh, if you're into those blood moons things, you must be disappointed right now. If you're into the Shemitah thing, you're terribly disappointed right now, because that year is over. But if you're here for the Word of God, you must be very excited. God wants His children to know His plans. Our God is not hiding His plans from His own children. He declares them. You don't need to go to the psychic. You don't need to go to read cards or to that big uh, uh, glass bowl. I don't know what, uh, what it is, though. Dark coffee or whatever. You know, coffee for me is not to read the future. It's to uh, live. I take sometimes, well, in my best years, it was 16 double espressos a day. I used to call it jihad. When you drink it, you're ready to kill someone. But I want to tell you that our God is interested in declaring his plan. In fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 46, in verse 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done. God is not hiding. He is declaring His plans and He's, he's telling us everything. He's telling us the end from the beginning. In other words, 2,600 years ago, a prophet named Ezekiel could see things that are not yet done even today. But then God says... My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Nothing that happens around the world today is taking God by a surprise. He's using every one of those thoughts and, and, and even the most secret thoughts of some of those leaders of the world, and he is definitely directing, directing it in the right place as far as his plans for this world. And you must understand <clears throat> that... A lot of people are trying to be prophets nowadays. You know, it wasn't a very popular thing to be a prophet 2,500 years ago. You would have to think twice before you said, Lord, here I am, send me. 
because it sent me down to the pit, down to be stoned by people, down to be mocked by people. Today, uh, people want to be prophets because it sells good books. <laughs> they make millions. And they laugh all the way to the bank because there's too many people that are buying that. And I want to tell you something, folks. Prophets are people that are not, by any point, at any given moment, using their own interpretation of anything. You understand that? And unfortunately, so many, even here, that are sitting here tonight, have been deceived by people who are teaching their own interpretation of things. Second Peter, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, is clearly indicating the fact that prophecy has never come. And it goes like that. Knowing this first... No prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. For holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. But prophecy never came by the will of man. Not the will of man. They didn't want to. If you ask them, they wish they weren't prophets. But it is the Holy Spirit that came upon them. And the Bible says, For holy men of God spoke, how? As they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were conduits to which the Holy Spirit spoke. It wasn't their interpretation. It wasn't their idea. It wasn't their thing. It was just something that they felt, that they knew, that they had to share. And sometimes, people, if it's the Word of God, sometimes... You don't really like to hear what God has to say. And those prophets were stoned to death. False things were told about them. They were thrown down to the pit. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. But at least they could sleep good at night. Because they knew it wasn't them. God sent them. It's interesting because a lot of people are saying, well, well, that's the Old Testament prophets. But of course, Jesus came and everything is different now. Everything is new. What he says, well, actually annuls the Old Testament and it begins a new thing. Now, I have, a, I have a, um, news for you. Nothing that Jesus ever said contradicting uh, uh, even one word of the Old Testament. I even have news for you. Jesus never preached from the New Testament even one sermon. Paul never, ever quoted the New Testament. Peter never mentioned anything that was written in the New Testament. What am I trying to say? Don't ever underestimate the Old Testament. These were the scriptures at the time. And whenever the Bible says in the New Testament that it is written, it is written in the Old Testament. Amen? Amen. And how, how blessed are we to have both? And in the book of Hebrews, in chapter 1, you see that definitely Jesus is not contradicting anything. The Bible says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, Jesus. In other words... The same God who sent the prophets in the Old Testament time to speak to the fathers in these last days speaks to us through Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting? 2,000 years ago, 
The book of Hebrews says it's the last days. That tells you that the last days, the term, the last days, starts, begins 2,000 years ago when Jesus came and fulfilled all which was spoken by the prophets. So where are we now? John says, beloved, we are in the last hour. This is the last hour of the last days. This is it. And what Jesus said never contradicted the prophets. He actually speaks the same words that God the Father spoke to the fathers by the prophets. And that's why when the disciples came to Jesus 2,000 years ago on the same Mount of Olives, they asked him a question that a lot of people are asking themselves nowadays. Master, what are the signs of the end of the age? And Jesus said, well, look for four blood moons and look for the Shemitah years. And Oh, wait a minute. He didn't say that? Well, I guess not. Well, Jesus was very detailed in the things that we should be looking for in order to determine that we indeed live in the very end, at the very last days. Just so you know, the book of Genesis begins with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Anything that has a beginning, by the way, has to have what? An end. Because eternity has no beginning and no end. You understand? The love of God has no beginning and no end. The grace of God has no beginning and no end. But when He created the world the way it is, with the sun and the moons and the stars, there was an expiration date to it. Because He knew exactly how people are going to be. And so, the Bible says, that at the very end, God is going to make all things new. New heavens and new earth, and there will no more be any need for the sun or the moon or the stars. So, yes, this world, as we see, is coming to an end. Now, you may not agree with me, but that's your problem. (laughs) This is the word of God. And so far, he's been proving himself to be very accurate. Amen? So, we have established that we indeed live in the last hour of the last days. And we live in the world that is clearly in a state of decay. You must agree with me. Look around you. It's in a state of decay in so many different areas. Morally, spiritually, physically. The world can smell a soon collapse. That collapse that I'm talking about, and I'm not here to scare you, by the way. Bible prophecy is not to scare, but it's to prepare. You must get it. And so the world is coming soon to a state of collapse in so many different areas. When Jesus described the list of things that we should look for, he said, okay, there will be wars and rumors of wars. And then he said, there will be nation that is going to rise against. Well, by the way, the word in the Greek is ethnos. Not necessarily country against country, but ethnic group against an ethnic group. And what we see today, within countries, people are fighting within Iraq, within Iran, within Syria, within Sudan, within uh, Libya. They're all fighting each other, and it doesn't necessarily have to be country against country. And then he said there will be earthquakes and famines and pestilences. He gave us a, a, a long list. And the soon collapse is not in just one level. There's going to be a financial collapse. 
a physical collapse, a political one, and of course a spiritual one. We can see that. Right now, we can see that the world has a vacuum of leadership. There is no leader. And when there's no leader, the mice come out of their holes. And you see all that is going on in the Middle East, in other parts of the world, much of it is a result of lack of leadership. The political arena in the world is requiring such. Spiritual collapse, we can see that the apostasy is growing all around. You can see that churches are adopting doctrines that are actually completely against the word of God. You can see that a church becomes more of a, uh, I say, uh, a club rather than a house of God. Physical collapse and financial collapse. Regarding the financial collapse, I decided to quote from June 28, 2015 on a telegraph from the UK. It, it says, the world is defenseless against the next financial crisis, warns BIS, the Bank of, uh, International, um, of uh, International, uh, Settlement. Monetary police, uh, policymakers have run out of room to fight the next crisis with interest rates unable to go lower says the BIS. BIS, by the way, is the central bank of the central banks. They know what they're talking about. The coming collapse is near. It has nothing to do with Shemitah, it has nothing to do with blood moons. It has to do with horrible financial behavior of countries. America alone is printing money like monopoly. It has absolutely no substance behind it. And it's in order just to feed the monster, in a sense. But there is going to be the point where a tiny little change of the interest rate is going to bring the dollar 20 to 30% down. Everybody is bracing for it. They're all ready for it. And they know that by October it must happen. Even the Fed itself uh, said that. Now, again, I'm not a prophet. I come from a non-profit organization, just so you know. <laughs> I'm just quoting experts much bigger than I am. <clears throat> what, about, what about physical collapse? This is the cover of the New Yorker from July of 20th of this, month, of this year, just about a couple months ago. I don't know if you can see that, but the top part of the northwestern shore of the map of the United States is torn from the map. Guys, they're expecting a an earthquake that is going to bring about a complete destruction on all the northwestern shore of the United States. It's called, uh, it's an interesting thing. You have the Cascade Mountains, and then you have another plate from the ocean that is coming underneath and pushing the Cascades above. And it's going to create such an earthquake that it is equivalent to a 9.2 in the Richter scale, and is going to create a 900 miles wide tsunami that is going to be about 100 foot high and is going to destroy huge cities. I did not make it up. This is what even the common world media is reporting almost every day. Yeah, you can fall asleep if you want and not believe it, but everybody's talking about it in the geological uh, uh, realm. They're talking about that Cascadian fault. They're talking about the San Andreas fault. They're talking about the New Madrid fault. But what about the rest of the world? You're seeing earthquakes in frequency more than ever before since the beginning of measurement of earthquakes in the history. You know, earthquakes can happen from time to time. I was in, in the city of um, 
I was in the city of um, Pompeii just uh, about a week ago. Of course, what happened there, it was both the earthquake and, of course, the eruption of the volcano. But you must understand, nobody, nobody thought it's going to be so. Although there were signs before. Now, it'll happen. It's not even a question of if, it's a question of when. And everybody in the geological realm suggests that it's sooner than later. In other words, it's going to be very, very soon. And I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to prepare you. You must understand, the things that I'm sharing here are not things that I made up. It's things that the world is aware of, but chooses to ignore. There are more earthquakes in the Pacific. There's more earthquakes in Europe, in Asia. We're talking about even in Iran, a lot of earthquakes lately. In, in the area of Turkey, tons of earthquakes. In South America, come on, Chile. I mean, they have earthquake almost like every other week. Now we're talking about major, major catastrophe that everybody's anticipating. They just don't know the hour, but they know that it's around this time or this year. So we have financial collapse, we have physical collapse, definitely political collapse. Show me a world leader. One world leader right now that carries after him everyone that is charismatic enough to lead the world. None. This is exactly the vacuum that is needed for the rise of someone that we know will be the Antichrist. The world is thirsty. In fact, even the Pope said that the world is looking for a leader just a couple days ago. I'm not holding him as my spiritual leader, but I just say, listen to him even saying that. That's interesting. Very interesting. What? No, unfortunately, our prime minister is not a world leader. He leads our country. We, we, we voted for him, thank God. But we're, it's a country of oh, 8 million people. That's it, in the middle of a hostile area. The world is not having a leader. And that's why the collapse is pretty soon. And of course, spiritually, we see everything. But apart from the moral and the spiritual decay that we see, we also witness an amazing shift in world's political map. Amazing shift. Did you know that Israel is now talking directly with Russia? Do you understand that we no longer trust America to take care of the area? So we go directly to the Russians. And do you know that Putin loves it? He's, he, he told us, I'll give you whatever you want. Just come to me first. There is an amazing shift in world political map. However, I'm here this evening to point at two major things that all of you should uh, pay attention to. One, the political isolation of Israel. Israel is standing alone today. There is no superpower behind it. There is no alliance of countries that can guarantee Israel's safety. No one. Israel was thrown under the bus in the Iran deal. And now Israel, if Israel will attack Iran, Israel will be attacked by all those countries that signed a deal with Iran. Did you know that? Israel is standing alone. But by the way, don't be alarmed. We were designed to be alone. From the before everything, when the children of Israel walked and wandered in the desert, and Balaam was there to put a curse on the people of Israel. Remember, he couldn't put a curse on them. The Lord appeared before him and says, you cannot curse because they are blessed. Amen. That's what he said. 
And Balaam, you know, listened, and then he said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, I'm going to curse. And then the, the angel of the Lord appeared before the donkey, and the donkey understood it, but Balaam didn't. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a donkey to talk, so you listen. Sometimes the person next to you is the donkey that talks, and you, ne- you need to listen. But then, of course, when Balaam started the blessing, because he couldn't curse, he said, I see from afar... A nation, people that are alone. And they are not part of all the other nations. From the very beginning, God designed Israel to be alone. Why? Because if we will rely on other nations to survive, it's an insult to God. You understand that? But then also you have to look at Damascus. Keep your eyes on Damascus. And we'll talk about it in a few seconds. Why do I say that we live in the days of Ezekiel? It's very interesting. The days of Ezekiel, because we see the fulf- within our lifetime, we've seen the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 and 37, and every Bible scholar can tell you we are right there in the beginning of the fulfillment of Ezekiel chapter 38. I'm telling you, Ezekiel is more accurate than yesterday and today's newspapers. Um, in fact, Ezekiel in chapter 36 is describing a land that is completely barren wasteland. In fact, Mark Twain came to that land. You can see the picture of what the land looked like. Horrible, dry, nothing grew there. Mark Twain shows up and writes a a book, and he describes the land as a barren wasteland where he hardly saw anyone live there. No one was there. Amazing. You know, Palestinians say that they were there before. Mark Twain was there before. He saw no one. And I want to tell you something. The land was so dead because the rightful owner of the land was not there. And then in chapter 36 and verse 10, the Bible says that the Lord says, And I speak to you, O mountains of Israel, shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit for my people Israel, for they are about to come. And in order to prepare the coming of the mass, return of the Jewish people to their land as a result of the Holocaust, the Lord spoke fertility and that dead land turned into this that you see right now. Unbelievable. We can export now food to the world. We export vegetables. We export fruits. By the way, they taste. I'm not even saying good. They taste. Sometimes I come to... to, Well, never mind. Vegetables and fruits are a very tough subject here. But I want, you, I want you to understand that the land became so fruitful that now all of our neighbors decide, oh, we want it back. <laughs> we want it. That's ours. Before, nobody was there. In fact, some of them sold it to Jewish people for less than a dollar thinking that they did a good deal. And look what we have now. Because when the Lord speaks, things happen. And what the, when the Lord promises, His promises are yes and amen. But then the Bible says that He prepared the land for the soon return of the people of Israel. Unfortunately, at the time that the land was preparing itself, many, about two-thirds of the European Jews were taken to the gas chambers. And when the um, chapter 37 begins... Ezekiel was taken down to the valley of the dry bones. And Ezekiel is so depressed and he's looking at it. He says, Lord, what am I seeing here? And God says, Ezekiel, 
This is the entire house of Israel. They say, our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves have been cut off. But I tell you, Ezekiel, tell them, all my people, I am going to bring you out from your graves, and I will take you, and I will bring you to your own land. And it's interesting, I was trying to think, what is it? How can dry bones talk? And then I was reminded of the picture that the Allied forces saw when they came to liberate those camps in Europe. They saw those people that hardly had any flesh on them. They had bones and they had skin and their eyes had no hope. They felt that God rejected them or forgot about them. They felt that there is no future, that there is no hope and they're dry and they're done. And God spoke to these people, oh my people. I am going to bring you back to your land. And guess what happened? Within a couple years, boats loaded with thousands of people started coming to the shores of of what was then Palestine, which is the, the country of Israel. And guess what? No country. We were all alone then. No country helped us. In fact, the British army turned those boats and sent them to Cyprus, where my mom was born. My mom was actually in the womb of my grandma in those boats. They, they survived Auschwitz, and they made it to Cyprus where my mom was born, and then, of course, they made it back to Israel when we declared statehood. God said, I spoke it, and I will perform it. No one helped us. No one helped us. Now, I'm not here to complain. I'm here to give glory to God. You understand that? So Ezekiel 36 had been fulfilled. Ezekiel 37 had been fulfilled. The preparation of the land, fulfilled. The rescue of the remnant, fulfilled. And the return of the remnant back to their land, fulfilled. Israel today is a country that is safe, secured, and prosperous. I want to tell you something. If you're having second thoughts about going to Israel because it might be uh, unsafe... It is safer in downtown Jerusalem than in downtown L.A. (laughs) And when people ask me, when people ask me, is it safe to go from L.A. to Jerusalem? I said, yes and no. It's safe in Israel. It's dangerous the road to LAX. (laughs) Guys, it's not only safe. It is recommended. And I want to tell you something. The country now is safe We have never been stronger. Never. All of our enemies are fearing us. ISIS is afraid of us. We are secured and we are prosperous. We found gas and we found oil and we are so prosperous. The country of Israel has never been so prosperous as it is now. Our... our, our, um, um, inflation rate is very low. Our unemployment rate is very low. Now, we're not, uh, we are growing. The growth is about almost 3%. It was 5% the year before. It will go up again, but we're not zero. <laughs> we're there. We're growing. And we're in, the, we're in the state of war since the day of our birth. So, in the midst of war zone all around us Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, Egypt, Jordan, we prosper. And when I take people to Israel, I show them. I say, come with me. Let's see something. We go on top of the Golan Heights and I show them. Look, it's green here. Look, wherever the green stops, that's Syria. Now let's go to the Lebanese border. 
look, wherever the green stops, that's Lebanon. And then I take them to the Jordanian side, and they say, wait a minute, but it's green on their side. I say, yes, there's peace between Israel and Jordan. God says, I will bless he who bless you, and I will curse the one that curses you. It's a living proof here in, in that land. So, <clears throat> let's agree, Israel is safe and secure, and that's what Ezekiel 38 suggests. The Iran deal left Israel all alone. You understand that? Nobody's there for us now. Not only that, Europe, there's a growing anti-Semitism in Europe. So much so, that in just about a couple, three months ago, on the Newsweek magazine, the front cover was this, Exodus. Why Europe's Jews are fleeing once again. Isn't that interesting? Every time Europe kills the Jews, they're flooded with Muslims. Did you know that? Every time. All the money that Europe thinks about making from Iran is now going, they need to spend on absorbing all of those thousands of refugees right now. It's unbelievable. Europe is now absorbing all of those people that are fleeing from Islam. You know, none of these people turn to the Arab countries. They all turn to Europe. None of the Arab countries even said, come over to stay with us. They're not only turning their back to the Arab world, they're turning their back to Islam. You understand what's going on right now. I believe, by the way, just if you have a heart to pray for the unsaved, Europe now is the most ripest mission field in the world. Because all these people, you know, we detected, the Israeli intelligence detected, that all those people that are now fleeing into Europe are not even praying at all. There's no mass Muslim prayers where, where those refugees are coming now. Because they're all tired of Islam. They're all disappointed of Islam. They're all saying, this is not, look what it brought us to. And they all understand, we are looking for something else. Now, if you want to know what, I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's dangerous. I mean, they can obviously respond to the, the gospel if they're being shared that with, but they also can go to other false religions. I believe many of them will be deceived to join the one world religion. And um, um, I strongly recommend to listen to that message, the rise of the one world religion. It's amazing. It talks about how a one world religion is being formed before our very eyes, headed, unfortunately, by the Vatican. Now, not only that we have Europe, but Ezekiel is specifically talking about several countries that are coming to attack Israel. He speaks of Rosh, Meshek, and Tubal, which is Russia. But he also speaks of Persia, Iran. The Iranians, as you see, uh, they never called in the Bible Iran. It's a new name. Their real name was Persia. And you know, and I know, that if there's one thing that their government is completely dedicated to, is the destruction of Israel. They said a day and night. It's the only, Israel is the only country in the world that other countries are openly, publicly vowing to destroy it, and nobody does anything about it. Not only that, people sit with them and talk with them and give them billions of dollars to their bank account without asking them to denounce or to take back any of these words. But what about Russia? Russia in the Bible, Rosh, Meshek, Tuval, that's a country that has been waiting for years for that opportunity. The opportunity of taking 
control of that part of the world. The opportunity of being, rever or being referred to as a superpower. This is why Putin was so happy that Netanyahu came to see him. But I want to tell you something, guys. Russia is indeed preparing. In the last seven days, Russia had built a new air base in Syria. In within the last five days, from four to 28 uh, planes were deployed there. The Sukhoi Su-30 is being deployed there. As of this morning, two more army bases are being uh, built right now by the Russians. So thousands of Iranian soldiers pour into Syria. Thousands of Russian soldiers are pouring into Syria for the first time in the history. Quite interesting how Syria is the key to the fulfillment of Ezekiel 38 and 39. The Bible also said that will, uh, other countries will join them. Sudan, which is called in the Bible Ethiopia. Turkey, which is called Gomer and Togarma. And then the Bible says, but there's other countries that are going to stand aside and not be part of the assault, but they will be those who criticize it. Saudi Arabia in the Bible is Sheba and Dedan. And the, interesting, you would think that the Saudis will come against us. In light of the Iran deal, Saudi is now our best friend. Did you know that? The Saudi prince is about to come to Israel to visit openly. Up until now, they used to come only for medical treatment under a, somebody else's name. <laughs> the Saudi Arabian um, foreign affairs and in intelligence uh, community is working closely with Israel right now. In fact, the Saudis told us, if you go and attack Iran, we will let you use our airspace, but we will attack you on the UN, so nobody will suspect that we help you. <laughs> and we have an understanding, an agreement. All right. Europe, the Bible says, the merchants of Tarshish. That's Europe of today. The merchants of Tarshish. And then USA, the young lions, those who came from Europe, those who were uh, coming out of the young lions of Tarshish. All of those will stand aside and criticize, but no one will come to help Israel. Isn't that interesting how the world is going to watch Israel being attacked by a Muslim coalition led by Russia and the world will not come to help? And no one is going to just move a finger to help us. Wow. I wonder why. Well, I believe that the key is in the city that is called Damascus. Let's Make it very clear. The Bible is telling us in Isaiah 17, the burden against Damascus, behold, Damascus will cease from being a city and it will be a ruinous heap. Wow. So there's a prophecy here saying that Damascus will no longer exist. Did you know that ever since Damascus was built, about 2,800 years ago, it has never been abandoned nor destroyed? Did you know that almost a million people live in Damascus today? I want to tell you guys, keep your eyes on Damascus. Guess what? All the moderates are leaving Syria. So the Syrian population shrunk from 23 million to 10 million. And guess who stays when all the moderate leaves? 
all the scumbags, <laughs> all the very hardcore terrorists. We're talking about ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Jabhat al-Nusra, and all the other gangs. They're all there now, and they have absolutely no problem to put their hand on something that is deadly and aim it towards Israel. And think about it. Damascus is now almost two-thirds empty. And the only people that are inhabiting the last third are terrorists. And should Israel need to decide whether to anticipate an attack or go and prevent an attack, there's a good chance that Damascus will cease from being a city. It will be a ruinous heap. And then, of course, the whole world will come against us. Russia is there, Iran is there, and all the others will join and will bring about the exact fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy. A lot of people are, cons- are confused. There's the perfect, usual Christian confusion as of what's next. Because people are mixing Bible prophecy one with another. They don't know what is it next. Psalm 83, Isaiah 17, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Revelation. There's a lot of different things. Well, let me tell you this. Guys, Psalm 83 is not applicable today. It already happened in 1948 when Israel was born as a nation. And all of our neighbors, all of them, even those that within us, they all came out to attack us. So the name of Israel will be remembered no more. To utterly destroy us. Well, it's no longer there. All of our neighbors... Apart from Syria that will not even exist in Ezekiel, all of them are no longer wanting to destroy us. Israel is actually the only thing that is stable in the Middle East. And I want you to know that Psalm 83 talks about that which we have already gone through in 1948 and 1967. So it's not going to be Psalm 83. It's gone. Isaiah 17 speaks of the soon destruction of Damascus. Ezekiel speaks of the soon coming of the attack of Russia, Iran, and and Sudan, and and Turkey. Zechariah speaks of Armageddon. The last four, at the very end, when we will return with Jesus to put an end to it, so is Revelation 16. So Revelation and Zechariah speaks of Armageddon, which is at the very end. Psalm 83 speaks of what we already had before. The only two things left for us to anticipate is first Isaiah 17. That will be the key. That will be the the, the match. That will be the fire that will set Ezekiel 38 and 39 to come to pass. And it must be very clear. By the way, look at Damascus. That's the way Damascus looks like today. It's a huge city with over a million people there. You can understand, the city is not yet destroyed. Isaiah said it will be destroyed. Isaiah said that God wants us to know things from the, from, from the very beginning, things that are not yet done. This is one of them. It's one of those things that are not yet done. All of this, this evening, is to say, we are not only in the last days, we're in the very last hour of the last days. Guys, the stage is ready. The lights are there. The cameras are set. And the play will begin. It has to be very clear. The rapture of the church has never been so imminent as it is now. You know, when Paul wrote in 
the book of 1 Thessalonians, that the dead in Christ will rise first, and we that are alive will be caught up in the air. He lived a life of a true Christian that is anticipating the rapture to be at any given moment. But he wished he knew what we know today. He wished he could see what we see today. And how sad it is that he was more excited about the rapture then, not seeing what we see today, than many people that live today seeing all the things that the Bible talked about that has to happen. How sad it is. How sad it is that people live their life with no regards to what's coming. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Concerning the times and the seasons, you have no need, my brothers, that I will write to you, that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as a pregnant pains upon pregnant women, and they shall not escape. But then he says, but my brothers, you are not of the night, but you are of the day, so this day will not take you as a thief in the night. You must know the times and the season. You must be prepared. You know, they estimate that almost 50% of church attendants do not know Jesus. Almost 50% of church attendants come to church because they think that's what Christians need to do. Well, I suggest that you try to stand where your car is parking and see if you turn into a car. <laughs> it's not working like that. You know, coming to church is not what makes you a Christian. You understand that? What, when you are a Christian, then you want to come to church. Now, you need to understand something, guys. Jesus said, the day will come. And people will tell me when they see me coming, Hey, Lord, we did this and that and this in your name. And I will say, I don't even know you. <laughs> How sad it is to think you know Jesus. And he will say, I don't even know you. Ten virgins were waiting for the bridegroom. Only five were ready. The other five found out that they are not. Only when they returned to see that he's gone already. How sad it is to think you are, but not to be. Why? Because you never really consider the fact that knowing Jesus is actually something way deeper and way better and way greater than just attend church. Church is not a club you attend. You know, in Luke chapter 21, when Jesus was answering them, chapter, in verse 28, he said, When you see these things, the things that we see today, then lift up your eyes and look up because your redemption is drawing near. Isn't that interesting? I thought I'm redeemed. How can my redemption draw near? Well, the Bible in Romans 8.23 says, The redemption of the body. Which means the redemption of our body from this evil world is drawing near. The rapture of the church is growing near. And then in verse 31 he says, But when these things already happen, then the next thing is the kingdom of God. When we're already there and we're about to come back, when all these things are coming to pass, then the next thing is we with him are having the amazing millennial kingdom. So all I'm trying to say is this. Israel is back in the land. Israel is safe and secure. The land is fruitful. The remnant is safe. We're safe, secured, and prosperous. Russia is coming near. Iran is coming near. Russia and Iran collaborate. Turkey is collaborating with them. 
Sudan is waiting to attack Israel because Israel attacked several armed convoys on Sudanese soil in the last few years, at least five times. And about Libya, Libya wants to destroy us because Libya is, 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 ru is ruled by ISIS nowadays. Guys, the stage is ready. Financial collapse is around the corner. Physical collapse is around the corner. Political collapse is, can be seen all around the world. And definitely spiritual and moral um, bankruptcy when, when everything is being redefined. The question is, where are you in this whole picture? If the rapture takes place in 20 minutes, do you know that you're going to be taken? If you can't answer that question right now with yes, then I suggest that you need to take a few minutes and straighten things up with God. As we wrap things up, I want you to consider the words of Paul when he wrote to the Romans in chapter 13, in verses 11 through 15, 14. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. These are the days of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was right and he lived 2,600 years ago. Ezekiel predicted the things that even our Analysts, political analysts cannot even detect today. The world is getting ready. The question is, are you ready? And I hope that tonight you're looking into your inner parts and asking yourself that question. And if you're not, then you're here. And I think you're not here by a coincidence. There's a greater reason for you being here, and it's not just to watch someone from Israel. <laughs> it is actually to get ready. Amen? Amen? Why don't we close our eyes right now? <clears throat> and as we close our eyes, when all heads bow down and eyes are closed, considering the mere fact that the stage is set, that everything is ready, that God wanted his children to know his plans, that's why he declared them. Considering all of those things, as our eyes are closed and our heads are bowed, if there's anyone here that wants to dedicate his life to the Lord, that wants to believe, that wants to get his life back together, that wants to get right with God today, 
if there is anyone, as our eyes close and our heads bow, can I see your hand? No one can see you but yourself. I see your hand. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hands. I see your hands. Any more? You know, Jesus said, If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father. But if you... If you declare me before men, I will declare it before my Father. Can I see more hands? Yeah, I see those hands. I see more. Yeah, I see you. I see you. Wonderful. And this is the time for you not to think about what the others might say. Just stand up and make yourself, make your way forward so... We will pray for you and you will belong to the family of God. So if something happened that we all know will happen because we know the times and the seasons, you will be with us for eternity. The Bible says that God is not late, but he is long-suffering, not willing that any will perish. That maybe the rapture did not take place until now because of you. Because you were not ready. You are to be blamed for us still being stuck here. <laughs> but this is the time for you to get right. Because all of us want out of here. So I suggest that you stand up and come forward. And we want to welcome you to the family of God. We want to pray for you. And we want to invite you to probably the best thing that ever happened to you in your entire life. So as we sing this song, why don't you make your way forward, please? I trust that you know that we're not going to do anything weird to you. Come forward. Yes. I've seen a lot of hands. This is your chance to come.